0: Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where every week I keep you updated on the latest trends and how-tos in coworking. I owned and operated coworking spaces for eight years and then served as the executive director of the Global Workspace Association for five years. And today I work with hundreds of operators and community managers every month, allowing me to bring you thought-provoking operator case studies and inspirational interviews with industry thought leaders to help you confidently stay on top of what's important and what you can apply to your own role in the co-working industry. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. Thank you for joining me. Okay, lots going on. We work bankruptcy. I realized I haven't officially sort of uh, uh, covered that on the podcast, but if you need it covered, there's a lot happening on LinkedIn. Um, I did post on LinkedIn and maybe I'll throw that in the Facebook group as well, or send it in an email. um, My kind of view on the fact that I, there's certainly some, um, you know, good news, bad news for independent operators as this comes through. It is Pretty significant for some asset holders. Um, Gio and I worked with a landlord on that has a we work in their building to try to figure out what is their strategy. I don't think they are gonna have their lease rejected, but um, you know, there's still a question of what does that look like? You know, how distracted is the company? You know, are incentives aligned, all those things. They're trying to figure out what that means for them. And um, you know, they're real people who happen to be in the business of owning assets, but they own a lot of commercial property in a market that is struggling right now. So it is certainly challenging for the landlords in this case. But there are lots of thriving markets, lots of thriving co working spaces. And if you didn't hear my episode on WeWork, it was a few episodes ago. It basically talked about WeWork's growth strategy. Is unlike the typical operator and that they were focused purely on growth and not in profitable sort of unit economics so that's it's not always the case that an independent operator won't, you know, invest and be in the red in order to expand it, it is challenging to, to expand using cash flow. I talk with a lot of operators about expansion strategies and how to approach that, and they, you know, always want there to be some sort of simple way to do that. And it's just, it's, it is hard, you know, going from a couple locations even to that five location level. So there certainly is some investment, some, um, you know, investment that it takes to scale, but. The I you know the the eyeballs are usually on getting each unit profitable um over time. And um again, a significant growth may mean that is not the case. You've got a lot of overhead. You've got a lot of um, expenses that, you know, aren't covered by revenue at the individual locations. Um, during growth. And sometimes that's a strategy for high growth companies, but probably not for most of you who are listening. So um, hopefully you are doing well and are profitable. And if you are trying to figure out kind of where you fit into the marketplace, I want to invite you to join our operator membership. We call it the Everything Co-working Academy. And I don't talk about it very often, mostly because I'm always talking about the startup school and the community <laughs> manager university but we have this amazing group of operators we meet once a month um we talk on slack we do some expert trainings and resources throughout the month as well and it's just a great group of folks to sort of you know benchmark and run you know we look at layouts we talk about hiring we talk about all the things that you know owners are going through and some are owner operators and some have multiple locations there's kind of a range. We had our November call a couple of weeks ago, and um, I just love that group. I think they love each other. <laughs> we have folks who've been in that group forever. Partly the group exists for startup school students who are like, you know, I love the the community that I've built. I don't want to be done. So we kind of funnel into that. And then we opened up the group kind of more formally probably like a year and a half ago. So anyway, if you're thinking, you know what, for 2024, I want to get, you know, more formally involved in a group that's talking about business strategy and even just kind of the day-to-day of running a co-working business. I will put the link in the show notes. It's called the Everything Co-working Academy. You can also find it on our website. It's under a link called membership for operators that are already launched, I think, because all of our we've lots of names for all of our programs. Anyway, um, what else is happening? We're getting ready for a big trip, uh, just on a personal note. And I have that, like, I cannot get everything done feeling. And my husband and I had, <laughs> had that conversation last night. He's like, well, there's just, there's just no room. That's not happening. I don't know how this is going to get done. He's leaving town on Monday, and then my daughter and I—he's going to a conference in London that he goes to every year. And last year, I said, "I feel like we should come next year." You already have a plane ticket paid for. We're sitting on a pile of hotel points from you know business credit cards and whatnot that we didn't haven't used in so long because of the pandemic, and we just haven't done overseas trips in a long time. So, uh, we're—I'm super excited. We're going to London and Rome. So my daughter and I are flying. Next week, which could be any, which could have happened already by the time you listen to it. But we're mostly going to be there over US Thanksgiving, which will be nice. And we're missing kind of the craziness of traveling. And we don't usually see family over Thanksgiving because I refuse to get on a plane during this super busy time. Sometimes we'll sort of arbitrage and go the weekend before. But anyway, I am happy to enjoy uh, London and Rome food versus eating a turkey. I don't even eat turkey. So. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, looking forward to it. I am hoping I can sneak in like an afternoon. I'm like whispering so my husband doesn't hear me. I was thinking about this on my run this morning. I'm like, how am I going to swing this? I think if I did an afternoon of of space tours, I might be able to squeeze that in. So we don't have a lot of time in either city. So it'll be mostly family time, which is um, important. What else is going on? We're super busy. We've been doing 2024 planning. We're planning out our community manager training uh, schedule. We just onboarded a bunch of new community managers from, from a large operator. We're super excited. They have decided that this is a professional role and they really want their community managers to go through formal training when they join. So they put a cohort into the group. Um, we love that group. We're looking at you know all the ways we can support them uh, through 2024. So that's happening. I did find it very challenging. My 2024 planning is still not done yet. I blocked off a few days and then those days got very interrupted. <laughs> I think next year I have to like send an email to key people in my business life and say, uh, you know, I'm I'm off site for three days. I'm not answering your texts. I'm not answering your emails. I should have put an out of office on. So it was a bit mixed. So I'm learning, but I got some of it done. Some of it done. I'd love to hear how you guys do your 2024 planning. Sometimes we host a workshop for our members and we haven't done that this year. So we'll see. Maybe we'll still consider it. Um, Working on some projects for landlords. We're looking at a lot of test fits, a lot of pro formas. We just did our pro forma session for our co-working startup school cohort. Um, A great mix of folks in that group. Building owners, folks that want to do childcare, which we're trying to help them figure out. Uh, one woman in Mexico. I'm like, I'm sorry, your rent is what? So trying to um get everybody, you know, good with their numbers. We're doing phase one, which is floor plans or you know, um estimated floor plans since they don't have their specific spaces picked out yet, and product mix and performa. And Kim Lee is our coach in that program. So She and I uh, like to share the pro forma session and see who can get a pro forma done in class. So uh, just lots going on, which which we love. So yeah, soccer season finally is over, uh, which is great. Lots of refereeing. I was refereeing like five or six games a day during our tournament. So this weekend is prep for the trip. Okay, so I hope you guys are having a good kind of pre-holiday season. Speaking of holidays, we for our community manager group this month, we talked about how to manage the holidays in a co-working space. And the community manager seemed pretty on top of it, but um, we gave out a resource of things to think about because it can be complicated depending on kind of where you're located. You might have a wide variety of members who have different backgrounds, different religions, different preferences on you know how they like to handle holidays in a workplace. So we're helping them kind of think through that because those are coming up right away. We also delivered some really great member appreciation event ideas because it's always good to have fresh ideas to work from. Okay, let's talk about today's guest. So today's guest is the founder of Beehive Co-Working. Scott Tillett. So I did not know Scott. I found him through the Facebook group and uh, he has been open since 2009. And we talked about this on the uh, podcast, so I won't go and do it too long, but that was early days. That was like when there was a Google group, but not a lot of other resources, a very passionate Google group. And some of those folks are still around, which is awesome but he had to figure out a lot of things on his own. And it was really fun to hear his story. He's experimented with multiple locations. He's learned a lot through different types of partnerships. He was like, without sort of knowing it, doing management agreement deals, Um, but smaller locations and smaller communities. He's super community focused, very, you'll hear his story and kind of his why. um, And many of you are going to really, you know, relate to his why, and so his his he, you know, uh essentially is now committed to the business full time, but had been doing a lot of different businesses and not for profit work and community support work. So he has um not all of his spaces are staffed full time. He would if, if they are, it's by him. So so one of the reasons I'd reached out to him was to talk about his ambassador program. And if you look at his website, we'll link that up in the show notes you can see he has um, some ambassadors and he doesn't use them as heavily as some others do. He's got, you know, one or two that are committed to a couple of shifts each week. And then he's got a community activator who actually works full time, but works remotely and sort of, you know, sort of side hustles for the space. She was a member, which is very cool. So this is, so he spends a lot of his time, but also he's really created this culture that understands how to operate professionally without leaving all their dishes all over the place and whatnot without, you know, intense oversight. And, you know, he's in a particular market, like his Beacon New York location. He said there are six coffee shops on Main Street, which is where they're located. So he's like, I don't have to worry that much about coffee. They do try to be there to greet uh, meeting room users who are not members, because we were talking about that in our community manager group. We have that was a big discussion on one of our best practice calls. Was okay. How do we, um, if we're not fully staffed all the time, how do we manage that workflow, that user experience, to help non-members get in and use our meeting spaces and not be frustrated or confused? Uh, it can be challenging because people don't like to read stuff. So anyway, Scott kind of talks through how they approach that. And we're having a lot of those conversations on our membership calls, too. So if that's something you're trying to figure out, come join us, certainly. But you'll love hearing Scott's story, his background, the things he's experimented with. He's in PR and communications, which I love. If I had another half hour, I would have asked him a lot more about sort of how he uses that part of his brain for his co-working business. So we might have to have him back on again, but we used our full hour. This is kind of a longer episode, but he has a great story. And I think you're gonna really enjoy hearing his perspective and some learnings from how he is operating his spaces. So without further ado, here is Scott Tillett. Hello, I am sitting here with Scott Tillett, who I have never met before, but I saw him post to our Facebook group and I <laughs> sort of stalked him and was like, Scott, we need to talk about your co-working story and your ambassador program. So Scott, I don't know anything about your story and I can't wait to hear it. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. I was Googling where you are. So one of your locations is in Beacon, New York. Which, How far from the city are you?
1: Uh, about an hour. Actually, we're an hour 20 to Grand Central. We're on regional rail, the Metro North. Oh, wow. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're... Straight up the river. We're actually on the on the Hudson.
0: Are you where everybody wanted to live after the pandemic? Yes. Yeah.
1: So... And and I mean we were before we started. Oh, this, you so already we're, talk... were. And now, right. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, we we were talking real estate prices because you were yeah. out in just outside of San Francisco. I mean, you know, real estate in Beacon has increased a lot in the I've been here now 17 years. It's increased okay. a lot in the 17 years because I mean this is a pre-pandemic thing. The Hudson we're in the Hudson Valley, which you've probably heard of. It's it's very hot area and it's been that way for quite a while. And Beacon in particular, a world famous art museum opened here just before I moved here, but maybe net 19 years ago or so. And we're on the train line, you know, an hour 20 to Grand Central. So it's, it's just, it's one of those really hot areas, you know, an hour outside of the city where everyone has escaped to.
0: Right. Right. And even to your point, even before the pandemic wanted to escape too. So I grew up between Binghamton and Syracuse.
1: And no, way up there, be like,
0: yeah, exactly. They'd be like, "Oh, upstate New York." I'd be like, "Well, way upstate, way, not, way like, upstate." What you're picturing, <laughs> right? Train line, you know, right. Farmland. I was like, "No, I'm." I keep going, <laughs> a few hours.
1: <laughs> used to be there was a T-shirt store in town, and they had a shirt with with New York State on it, and then a, a star or something where Beacon is, and it said, "Does this look like upstate to you?" <laughs> That's, That's funny. And you can, like, Beacon is pretty far down when it's you look at It's pretty far all down. Yeah, you look at the back, yeah. it's big.
0: <laughs> yeah. But still, your population is 13,000 and it looks like a years, adorable yeah. small
1: town. So it's a very adorable so- small town with a very vibrant main street. In fact, it's one of the longest main streets in the country it's just over a mile long you just don't have main streets that are like this you know downtown areas are blocks and they're you know they're whatever but and it's actually called main street and it is the spine of the city and that's where we started 14 years ago 14 plus years ago i know
0: right so 2009 was like before co-working was on the internet (laughs) before it was on the internet (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but before 2009, because I opened in Chicago at the very beginning of 2012, so I was doing all my research in 2011. Like there wasn't like how to start a co working space on the internet. You were making it up.
1: Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, there, there weren't resources. Well, you know there was ah. a Google group, the co working Google group. Sure. You know there the, were a yes, few. Were, yeah, yeah. There were a few kind of pioneers who were yeah. sharing. Tons. It right. really Alex was a movement. And, then. Alex Hillman, yeah. whom I've met a number of times, Tony mm-hmm. Bautaglupo, who's yeah. been to my space a couple of
0: times. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Jerome started in 2010, Jerome, so pretty early. Je-
1: yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm just saying, sure. though,
0: there was like a sprinkling, and you had to know how to. There find was a sprinkle. You group. had to know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to know where to look in the in the recesses yeah. of the of the internet
0: for yeah. sure. Hey, I'm interrupting this episode for any of you that are thinking about or are already working on starting a co-working space, which would be 2024 at this point, if you're just getting started, I want to make sure you know we have updated the format of our co-working startup school. We are now running it live. Although you don't have to attend live, you can get all the content and resources and the roadmap. without attending live. But we think that is the absolute best way to get the support that you need and build your own co-working community as you're getting started. So we've split the co-working startup school into two phases. And we've been running phase one, which we call validate your plan. And we really, really want folks to clearly know their numbers before they commit to a lease. We even have folks that already own buildings that are going through phase one to make sure they get everything right before they actually commit to their layouts and start construction. So phase one is really around knowing who your target customer is, making sure you have the right size of space that aligns with your goals, and then figuring out your product mix, your floor plan, and your pricing, and then putting that all together so that you have a pro forma that you can take to the bank, as they say, literally and figuratively. We also have pitch deck and business plan templates, and we run these workshops live. So you're actually, we have prep work that you're doing offline as homework, we try to keep that pretty reasonable. We want you to be able to complete this work and make a go, no-go decision. And if you have draft floor plans and things that you're trying to like finalize and take to contractors um, or get plans approved on, we want you to be able to do that pretty quickly. So we run this across five weeks, which gives you a little bit of time to catch up on your homework. And we run live sessions with live coaches so that we can get your questions answered and walk you through as we go, but you're workshopping, you're doing the work on the calls, unless you've already done some of the work, and then you're getting feedback on that work on the calls. Again, you don't have to come live, but we've designed it so that you get expert support. And again, you meet others who are going through the same process and we do it pretty quickly. So phase one, validate your model is running. Our next session we have scheduled to start at the very beginning of January and that's a ways away if you're listening to this when we just launch it. So, you can register anytime and get the content immediately so you can start working on it. If we have enough folks register, we will move up the live date. So, we like to have a little cohort that we can run through the pl- through the program. So, if we get folks who are registering then we can move up the um date of the start of the first live session. We've set it for the second week in January. So to get more details on that, go to everything coworking, everythingcoworking.com forward slash start. Now back to our episode. Okay, so how <laughs> how did you end up in so you live in Beacon?
1: I do. Okay. So so the, I guess the story kind of begins in 2006. I was living in Brooklyn, okay. and I joined a I joined a writer space in Manhattan near Union Square called Paragraph, um, which was essentially a co working space for writers. Although I don't know if I knew the term, they didn't use co working. Use the, the term, term. yeah. And you know, according to lore, it was you know started in 2005 and by Brad Newberg in yeah. San Francisco. So we really, it, it, you know. Less than a year before. So, anyway, I joined that writer space and I had been working for myself at that point for about five years or so. Um, and I worked from coffee shops, you know, bouncing around lower Manhattan and Brooklyn and whatever. So, I was primed for co working, even if I didn't know that it existed. So, I joined this writer space and then she- I was a member just for a short time because then I moved to Beacon, you know, an hour north. Okay. And there obviously was nothing like that in Beacon. Wait, and after and a couple you were a writer. What was the work you were doing? Well, I was a writer, but primarily I was a PR and communications consultant. And wow. this t- actually ties into why I started Beehive. But Perfect. I was writing for a magazine about completely unrelated stuff, photography. But but I was primarily PR and communications. You know, I did some of that work at Paragraph 2, and and working in social impact. So nonprofits and foundations and books and films of the message. You know, I promoted several of the Dalai Lama's visits. I promoted an anti-war documentary that Phil Donahue produced. So I was in that world, environmental stuff, social okay. justice, et cetera. And when I moved to Beacon, I really fell in love with the community in Beacon. You see, population's about 15,000, depending on where you look. But so it's a small community. As I said, it's a very vibrant main street. And at the time, in 2006, when I moved, you know, there was a handful of folks who had moved up from Brooklyn. So it was a small, tight-knit sort of expat, like city expats, yeah. right?
0: What, what prompted
1: you to move? Did you need a break from the
0: city? Like, what?
1: Yeah, well, I, my then wife was tired of the city, and she had okay. discovered Beacon. Okay. And, you know, I mentioned that the art museum, Dia, had opened just a couple years ago. So there was a lot of buzz around. I mean, there was buzz around it. Certainly within the art world and real estate speculators. right? <laughs> yeah. And so so I was actually I was looking for there are two things. One, I'd work for myself. So you know I started Beehive for my own for myself as a space to be you know as a co-working space because yeah. I wanted that. But also I was looking for a way to kind of translate this social, justice, progressive mm-hmm. issue oriented work I was doing to something that was more sort of concrete, Mm, and localized and community focused because you know that anti-war documentary I mean we didn't stop the war with that you know I got butts in seats I got people to go see it the Dalai Lama like he's getting his message of you know his nebulous message of world peace out whether I'm working with him or not so I wanted something that was a little more kind of concrete and so I saw Beehive as a way of addressing my own personal you know work-related stuff and and Need for community around work, and also as a way to kind of be a platform for community engagement, and so co-working was the business model, and it means to an end, but it was much deeper than that. It was, as I said, a platform for community engagement, and that's manifested in a lot of ways over the years. So that's how it started, and that was early two thousand nine. Um, you know, I started small, seven hundred and some square feet, one room. And I eventually expanded in that building over the years. And then uh, just five months ago, we relocated from that space um, down the street into a larger, you know, gut renovated space. Wow.
0: Okay. So how did you know? You'd, I guess you'd seen Paragraph, like, was that your model or did you find what, so, what was the, like, you're like, I need you yeah. you sort of had this th- thing you wanted to solve, Yeah, I think, okay, I'm going to go sign a lease and do, you know, do this. Like, what was that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as you said, there wasn't a lot of information out there, but part of my progressive work and revolved around localism and localism. If you don't know what localism really is, by local is like a small part of it. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a community development slash economic development kind of paradigm that was Really nascent at the time, and I was following that because I was just interested in again, like community, and it was, you know, it, it predated Occupy Wall Street. But there's an occupy, there's a it's Main Street versus Wall Street driven economy, yeah. right? That's kind of what localism is. It touches on a bunch of different things like local renewable food systems, local renewable energy, or local sustainable food systems, local renewable energy, local media, and so I was really interested in that stuff and. In I guess co-working kind of inters i mean for me, it intersected with that and yeah. and it somehow I just kind of stumbled upon co-working as a movement, yeah and started researching it. And then I just, I had a very good year in 2008. I did a lot of really interesting projects and then work slowed down a little bit. And so I had this time and it was just a little bit flush. I mean, relative for, for <laughs> me, I mean, this was this was at actually the recession, right? 2008. Right. It yeah, I was like, of...
0: okay, well, that's a good year to have a good- <laughs>
1: no, Yeah, no, well, good year so it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, people say that's a good time to start something and- yep right I, that Did wasn't a conscious <laughs> it wasn't a conscious decision for me it just it just so happened i had time and energy and really was excited about doing something locally and so i just started researching and that's when i discovered that google group and you know all those early pioneers and got so much help from them and just researched different models and yeah. And, you know, I very quickly threw it all together. And then, I yeah, I went and found a lease. I mean, at the time, the vacancy rate on Main Street and Beacon was in the high 30s. Again, this was, it, was this a, was in the ready. recession. Yeah. Beacon but it was, also was... fit
0: your mission of like, I can, totally. oh, hey, I'm going to sign a lease. I'm totally. going to make use of this space. We're going to eat lunch on Main Street. And... Going to bring wow. some
1: vibrancy, do some interesting events and bring people to this space. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, so you started with a small room with some desks, like kind of a dedicated Mm -hmm. desk or or was it all
1: assigned seats? Dedicated M-Flex, yeah. Okay. Yeah, not even a meeting room or a phone booth or anything like that. (laughs) And then I think about maybe a year and a half in, the second floor of the building came available. And that was, I think, about maybe 1,500, 1,600 square feet. So I took that over. It was one really large room. There had been cubicles in there. And then a separate room and a little kitchen and a bathroom. And so I turned the separate room into a meeting room. And then the large room actually built out, my landlord built them for me, five small rooms that we made into small offices, 75, 80 square feet to the largest one was 220 or something. Okay. And so then I had you know our main room, kind of lounge desks, dedicated flex event space, and then the second floor with some private offices and such. Okay, got it. Perfect.
0: Okay, and And then then actually,
1: well, so, and then I think like six, six or nine months after opening, this is before we took over the second floor. There's a, a a a really good locally owned magazine, regional magazine called Chronogram. It's a monthly free, like glossy, you know, large format magazine. I knew the founders. I'd met them at some point, just in you know whatever being in the region. And I told them about Beehive before I actually opened, as it was opening. And they owned a building in Kingston, which is where their office was. And it was a three-story building, I think. Their offices were the second floor. The first floor was retail, storefront, and it was empty. And so they they asked me to open a beehive there. And I'm like, well, let me open in Beacon first. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I did. And then a few months later, we actually we partnered. And here's the thing: we just kind of threw together this kind of what eventually became a management agreement, okay. like what people call that yeah, now. Definitely, we nobody knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. No, we didn't know. We yeah. didn't know it had a term. We just kind of you're just like came, okay, how can came we make up this with this work? exactly? Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll share everything, and we'll we'll have some sort of revenue share, and it'll be Beehive brand and Beehive management manage it. You guys will help because you're there, whatever. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was the second location. I think that was November or December of 2009. So literally like six, seven months after after opening. And then, you know, that lasted maybe two and a half, three years and whatever.
0: But that was it. That's how we started. I, I love it. Hey there, I'm jumping in again. This time I'm speaking to those of you that have, are either getting ready to hire a community manager or who have a community manager and you would like to support their training and development. We know how challenging it can be for co-working space operators to create their own training and development material to support their community managers. And this is so important in terms of onboarding new community managers and supporting the growth of your existing community managers. And We're getting towards the end of the year. What a great holiday gift, end of year gift to give to your community manager. So the platform is really around a couple of things. One is access to a community of like-minded folks. We have a very active Slack group with really wonderful questions that are posed every single day. And we find that's one of the biggest values. We have community managers from all over the world. And this is an excellent group of community managers that have invested time and effort into getting better at that role. And they are the kind of folks that you want your community manager to be by and hanging out with, and they know their stuff. Uh, Or sometimes they don't, and they ask questions, and we help them out. So I'm in the group. We have coaches that are in the group to support them. So we love when they ask questions for things they need help with, because the other aspect of the program is really around helping them get resources they need to make their jobs easier and to learn things that they can use in their role to be better at their job. So we provide some done-for-you resources like Google Business Posts, detailed event ideas, et cetera, that they can just kind of grab and go and use. And we also provide monthly resources that add to our training library so they can do our certification and then we have a lot of electives that help them um, kind of get better at all the things that that go with the role. So the, our community managers wear a lot of hats. So we break our content into industry knowledge for new community managers, community building, operations, sales and marketing, and leadership. So the leadership bucket is great for our more advanced community managers. We also have um, virtual office and digital mail training And uh, coffee training, for anybody who needs to know how to use commercial, uh, coffee brewers. So um, we uh, have some of the... I'm just going to give you kind of a sampling of content that we have. So in our community building modules, we have hosting your first member events, building community with budget-friendly events, member events, swipe files, our sales and marketing modules. We have tour training. We have... um, the training on the full co-working sales funnel, so they understand what that looks like. We have um, social media planning frameworks. We have uh, what else do we have? Uh, three simple steps to an effective marketing newsletter. These are just some of our samples. Ooh, these are some of our best uh, utilized topics: demystifying the process of letting your co-working members use your address for their Google Business listing. Uh, how to close a tour, operations modules, how to set up automations, how to do a new member onboarding audit, simple ways to use AI to boost your productivity. We have over 40 courses in the program. So we cover kind of higher level topics. And then we also cover things that are timely, like the CMRA updates, Google business updates, et cetera. So We get together monthly to do official training, and we also host a best practice sharing call, which is um, one of the fan favorites of the group and the Slack group. So if you have any questions at all about the program, don't hesitate to reach out. You can learn more and register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Now back to our episode. Okay, wait. So, well, tell me we're, we're going to keep going on the early days how did how did you co-working was not really a term no we work yet i mean we work
1: was we work was maybe a few months after i started so it was oh, so they it, were it, that it 2009 year.
0: yeah
1: ah okay but they
0: and in new york so you're getting a sprinkling of that but still not mainstream
1: uh-uh.
0: <laughs> no, no it's so how did you get members how did people learn about what's beehive what do we do with beehive well i mean
1: before i yeah. opened you know i i I did some, you're a PR guy.
0: Okay. So you, I'm a
1: PR guy. I know how
0: to do this.
1: (laughs) I organized and, you know, Beacon's a small community. So, and there are the right people there, you know, there was the right demographic of folks who had fled the city. Most of them worked for themselves. And I just, you know, I brought people together and said, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the mission and the vision. Here's the model. And, you know, I signed up a core. I mean, this is what, the movement, what you used to do in the early days, right? You would sign up, you would get a core group
0: yeah. together.
1: You didn't just build it and they would come, you yeah. you would actually engage and, and and organize and build community before you opened. And that's what I did. And so it made it pretty easy. And again, we started small and you know, I just bootstrapped it. I mean, I, <laughs> there was a Sears store in the next town over that was closed, I think it was Sears, they were closing. They had an that's office not, in the back of right. the street. Yeah. <laughs> they had an office in the back of the store with a bunch of desks. And I bought, I think, maybe six or seven desks for like $30 total. <laughs> <feel> like, <laughs> and there's a, there's, right? yeah. there's a used <laughs> office furniture uh, place across the river. And I bought some like basic Herman Miller chairs for maybe 50 bucks a piece. I mean, I really bootstrapped this yeah. thing. And I mean, the building was beautiful. It didn't need anything. It was a gorgeous 1904 building. Yeah, I mean, that, East Coast uh,
0: architecture. I know, anytime. It, it well, yeah, like and, and actually, a,
1: yeah, and and an artisan owned it. And she mm. had spent, you know, some time renovating it. It was beautiful brick. And just so I didn't need a, I didn't put any money into the space itself. The really, you know, yeah. yeah. Which is a big deal,
0: right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, to not have to do that these days
1: Depending. I know. I mean, yeah. I, the relocation, uh, oh, five months. Okay. You like, just I, did that. Yeah, I just did that. And I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still paying. I mean, there's loans that are pay off for years, but I'm still paying the contractor who's been right. generous to allow me to, you know, to pay delay pay on them. some of the payments. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy what, what it costs now. It's like a totally different experience from 14 years ago. Yeah. It's
0: totally. like legit now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so your your web website says Beacon in Newburg
1: and Cold Spring. yeah. So <laughs> I've had several that have opened and closed over the years. So Kingston, you know, six, seven, eight months, whatever after opening, that lasted, I think about two and a half, three years. And then, you know, we decided to close it for a number of reasons. I mean, it was, I still didn't have the right model for managing, you know, Newber, um, Kingston is 45 minutes away. Okay. Our spaces aren't large enough where we have staff, right? No, so right. Yeah. I still didn't have it quite worked out how to manage it remotely, you know, 45 minutes away. Yeah. I, I couldn't go up there every day. I didn't want to. Right. They're yeah. busy running their magazine. So, you know, we, we did some really cool stuff and it was, relatively successful for a while. And then it just didn't make sense anymore. So we closed it, but in 2012, so I guess it was three years, almost three years to the day, three years to the month after opening a beacon, we opened in Albany, which is a much larger market. And that was a case where this successful real estate, commercial real estate broker very successful in, in Albany, very well known, um, owned a building, had a space available, and uh, read about Beehive in an in-flight magazine <laughs> and reached out. And so then I ended up partnering with her, same thing, uh, you know, management agreement, yeah. or whatever we called it. By that point, I'd learned a little bit, you know, from my experience in Kingston. So it was a little bit more formalized and, you know, the, the contract was more of a contract. It was, it was better structured. You know, I had a lawyer draft that whereas before I think <laughs> we just <laughs> kind of threw something together. Yeah. And so, and actually we just closed that one last month. So it was over 11 years. We had had the Albany space and it kind of evolved in different ways over the years. Wait, in Albany, uh, is How far from you hour and a half straight up okay. through way. Yeah. 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 And it's the state capitol. But, it, you know, it's weird because my my partner there, I, I didn't I wasn't involved in day to day at all. Okay. And I rarely went there. In fact, in the last eight years, I mean, I, I went a few times. I mean, I just didn't go up there. Yeah. And it's it's because it didn't quite fit the mission and vision that yeah, I went in and, say, and the brand like her. Market. Yeah. Yeah. a different market and she's different. And for her, it was a real estate play in a way. I mean, she's yeah. very involved in the community, but still was, you know, it was mostly a real estate play because that's what she is. Yeah. And so it it never quite fit, you know, it lasted 11 years because I it just sort of, you know, she ran it and I just sort yeah. of let it go. And I mean, she's mostly given up her practice now and she gave up the building actually. So that's basically why we closed it. And yeah, so that, you know, we opened in Albany in 2012, and then I went back to Kingston. So there's a community development and affordable housing nonprofit. There's a couple in the region. There's a really big one called Rupco in Kingston. And they were were renovating an old warehouse in Kingston and turning it into affordable housing for artists. And I think there are like 52 or 53 units, something like that and common space. And I reached out to them, I, I knew, knew the folks, I've done a lot of other work in the region, which we can talk about or not, but I had a nonprofit, for example, a localism nonprofit for a number of years. So I knew the folks there, I reached out to them and said, hey, maybe we can partner and put a beehive in there. And you know, it'd be a free amenity for the resident, like the artists, and then open to membership to non-residents like usual. And there'd be this great interchange you know or exchange whatever between artists who need business support and you know typical beehive members who could use a little creative input whatever anyway made sense and so we did that and uh, again it's uh, you know managing it was a little bit complicated now the 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 building had a like as a property slash community manager yep. who also helped manage Beehive, but it it was a little bit loose in how all of that worked. You know, I'm sure this is sort of part of the learning process over the years. Yeah, no, I love thing. it. Yeah, it's like you experimented, yeah. you did all these things
0: before anybody else was doing them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: sort of. I mean, at that point, yeah. that was, I think, 2015 when we backed went back to Kingston. So it yes, was I mean it was more or less mainstreamed by then. Is that right? Twenty fifteen? I think that's right. So we only lasted maybe a year, year and a half there. And there are a number of reasons why it didn't work. Part of it was the sort of the lack of, you know, the looseness around roles and yeah. structure and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And again, you know, and Rubco is a nonprofit and it's it's an affordable housing complex. So it was it was just a little bit funny and there was you know, weirdness in the way that the residents interacted with our paying members and, you know, it's a business in there. You know, yeah. so it was just kind of a weird thing that never quite got fully worked out. Yeah. But Kingston now, actually, so we were early both times we were there, too early, I think. Mm. Kingston, I'm not sure if you heard about it, but during the pandemic became the fastest growing you know, municipality in the country, because everyone escaped the city. Yeah. And there's a large, so it's not on the train line, but it is the Hudson Valley. And it's kind of the gateway to the Catskills, which is where everyone escaped to. So, so many people moved to, to Kingston during the pandemic, real estate prices went through the roof like a huge change. And now now it's a thing, now there are two vibrant co-working spaces there. I mean, when we were there, obviously there was, yeah. there was none. So we were sort of too early and left yeah. and, you know, I, I talked to various folks over the years to try to partner in, and reopen there and it just never happened. And then, I mean, now it's, you know, we wouldn't go there. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Also still a small community. I think the population is 20, 25,000. Okay. And then there's two vibrant spaces there. Yeah. So around the time we went back to Kingston, we also opened in Peekskill, which is about half an hour south of uh, Beacon, so closer to the city. Also another river town, um, not as developed at the time, as certainly as Beacon, and not even really as much as Kingston, but one of those river towns where people were moving to, yeah. right? People from the city, so there was a right demographic, just small, and that was very short lived. That was a case where it wasn't the right partnership. You know, we 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 didn't have; it just wasn't the right fit for a number of reasons. Yeah, and- I mean, I
0: think what you're running into I just. You know, again, there's just like more on the internet. You were still making it up. There are not that many like management partnership type things that get done, and you were really like, let's try it.
1: Let's well, and also like, like uh, <laughs> these are see, you know it's harder. I mean, you've done a lot of rural co working you know conversations over the yep. years, and I and certainly in the in the Facebook group there is. I mean, it, that's only in the last what five seven years that that's been been a thing, yeah. and. I mean, you know, you can question whether you call the Hudson Valley rural, certainly some areas are, maybe ex-urban is better. Yeah. But we're talking small communities. Yeah. And so the yeah. models don't quite, they're yeah. not the same as a co-working space in a major metropolitan area yeah. that has hundreds of members and thousands yeah. and thousands yeah. of square feet. So it's a yeah. little bit harder. So I've always just kind of been making it up as I go along.
0: Yeah, but and even you know, the partnership piece, you know, managing remotely, how, when you can't staff with your own people that you've trained, how do you instill the culture? Like there's a, you know, it, it is hard, which I think is, is what you learned. And.
1: Well, also partnerships are hard, even in general,
0: general. general
1: because sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you seem like you're in alignment and then, and you know, words are shallow, right? So people will sometimes say certain things and then, that's not always the case once yeah. you actually, yeah. you know, month to month are trying to run things. Right. So, so yeah, anyway, it was short lived in, 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 peak skill, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got
0: it. Okay. So, so three locations now.
1: Yeah. So yeah. here's the thing, you know, I've always still been doing my PR and communication. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Okay. And about, yeah. and, and I had this, I mentioned, just briefly, I had this nonprofit for a number of years that I co-founded. I eventually became the board chair and I did a lot of other kind of community initiatives in the region that didn't pay me. So I was really about maybe five years ago, I was strung out. I was I was way too spread too thin and Beehive was always sort of, a, I mean, it was my thing and it was a business, but it, it was always sort of a thing, you know, one of many things. Yeah. And about five years ago, I, I, I realized there's a lot more I wanted to do with Beehive and I was spread too thin. And so I, I worked with a coach to, to, to work out like, I need to peel off some of this stuff. And I eventually left the nonprofit and started peeling off some of the other stuff and started to focus on Beehive more. And so then I started reaching out again Proactively to look for potential partners to open in other other cities, um, with a more f- kind of focused effort, right? And also, I'd learned so much at that point. You know, I knew how I was going to structure things better from a from a from a sort of legal, you know, you know, partnership structure, but also operationally, yeah. right? Yeah. And and at this point, Beehive such a, had such a strong brand in the region. Anyway, so I, I made this concerted effort and I connected with some uh, a, a big time developer slash GC in Poughkeepsie and we talked about, they were developing a project, a pretty big multi-use project there, a food hall and a market and a couple of floors of apartments and a co-working space. And so we were going to be the co-working space. And so that was a conversation that happened, you know, that was ongoing for a while, cause it was a big project and they were getting funding from the state and whatever like grants or whatever, economic development stuff. They were also involved in a project in Newburgh. So Poughkeepsie is about 20 minutes, half an hour north of us on the river as well. Actually it's the terminus of the same train line. Over the line, okay. Yeah, and you've heard of P- like Poughkeepsie yeah. is, all- shows up in the, you know, TV shows and films yeah. all the time. It's the end of the train line. Hyde Park, which is where FDR was from, is just below it. Newburgh is literally across the river from us. I'm looking at it now, actually. It's it's right across the river. Okay. They were also involved in this project. A Newburgh multi-use project, you know, multi-million dollar renovation of an old factory or whatever. And so uh, we talked about opening there as well. So these were conversations that were happening before the pandemic. And, you know... The nature of renovating old buildings, especially in this region, and 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 especially when you're getting grants, you know, economic economic development grants. There were a seven apartments in in Newburg, and they were it was a new state program, a kind of affordable housing thing. So they're they're below market apartments, and, and they were also focusing on artists. So you know those kinds of things delay, right? So these conversations, I. Think we're going on for a couple of years, the conversations and the planning process, yeah, right? Yeah. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. <laughs> and so, just as I was starting to invest more time and 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 some money, but time and energy into Beehive, the pandemic hit, and you know there was a lot of uncertainty, and it obviously it delayed construction and all of that. Yeah. Um, but we went ahead and we opened in Newburgh in January of 2021. So nine, 10 months after the pandemic hit. And actually we did we did pretty well there. Like we 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 filled it up um pretty quickly within a few months. I think we have 14 private offices there. And I think by month two, 80% were occupied. And then, wow. you know, there are a couple of the larger ones left, and then by maybe month 3 or 4 they were all full and then you know we the flex space was was filling up too so we we were doing pretty well things yeah. were starting to rebound i mean a couple months after opening the vaccine you know got distributed okay. but so. still
0: that was still like um uh, you know early reemergence
1: for sure and yeah. you, and you know what and and i have to tell you my my job like probably a lot of co-working folks before we opened in newburgh newburgh was a you know management agreement so okay. I had, I didn't, you know, I didn't have money invested in it, right? That's all the yeah. partner and they yep. were doing that. But Beacon, I mean, my job became trying to get funding, right, PPP, yeah. idle loans, all yeah. that stuff, emergency grants from local nonprofits and stuff. I mean, that's what I did because, you know, my revenue went like this. Yeah. the building, The building had sold three months before the pandemic hit. And I signed a new three-year lease. And the because Beacon being Beacon, the rent, yep. you know, just kept going up. So I had this brand new lease with a brand new landlord who gave me no concessions. Nothing. Oh, and, and then man. the pandemic hit and my revenue just went. Z. Right. So I spent all my time trying to just stay afloat basically. So, yeah, that's that. And that was that. And then we opened a in Uber and Poughkeepsie's. Things happened there and we ended up not uh, partnering with them. Okay. So right now, you know, we have Beacon and Newburgh, our main spaces. We have what I call an annex in the next town south of us in Cold Spring. An annex, I had opened one in Beacon in 2019 down the street from our flagship. It's just private offices. So there's no co-working, there are no meeting rooms, no events. Um, And that's what we have in Cold Spring. Cold Spring is a... Also on the train line, it's a, gets a lot of tourists. It has one of the most popular hiking destinations, certainly Ah. on the East Coast, if not the country. A lot of people, because this train line, a lot of people come up from the city. Mm, And so they get a lot of tourists, but it's a, you know, it's a vibrant little community where people live. And so we opened an annex of seven private offices there. Got it. Okay. So that's, those are the three locations we have currently
0: okay so talk about yeah the team staffing because you had posted about your ambassador program and I you know you've got on your blog you've got uh, an ambassador profile yeah. yeah what does that look like because I know people ask about that all the time or people assume they have to be fully staffed which is very hard in smaller spaces but you need somebody sort of minding yeah. you, know, you learn that right from some of your remote locations it's like well you need right. somebody who's right. Yeah. So yeah, talk about kind of the genesis of that and what it looks like.
1: Yeah. So again, this is sort of you know trying things and making it up as I go along. I don't remember at what point <laughs> I started doing something like that, and it wasn't called community like community community ambassador program. I that is something I I just packaged it maybe a couple of years ago and called it that. Before it was like an internship in quotes. Okay. <laughs> well, in quotes because you know i've had a several folks who kind of had an internship with beehive over the years but they were maybe five ten years out of school like they weren't at, they weren't in school so it wasn't really an internship got it it's sure. just that you know maybe they were new to beacon and they wanted to or the area and beehive being what it was and the and the brand and the you know the the, the presence it had in the region and the fact that we were pioneering and you know was this cool thing and did a lot of cool community things people would reach out and say hey you're looking for help and so i would just kind of bring them on and like yeah you know help me plan programs and you know just kind of help me manage you know the physical aspects of the space the operational stuff but in a very loose unpaid way because you know i didn't have the it, 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 there was no budget to 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 pay folks yeah so again, I just you know sort of would take people on who would reach out, or maybe I would ask someone, and obviously they would get membership, and you know they would they would get things out of it, so it was a it was a kind of win-win. And there are people I've hired from time to time over the years. I mean, I have someone now, so I call them a community activator, <laughs> nice. and that's a very part time you know paid position in fact sammy who who has been in that position now for a couple of years. Has a full-time job, but when she, when she started working with me, she didn't have a full-time job. She was kind of a, you know, she was doing her own kind of consulting thing. And she had just moved to Newburgh. This is probably maybe a few months after we opened in Newburgh. She had just moved to Newburgh. She was one of the ones who fled the city during the pandemic. And she became a member. And soon after she joined, I asked, I hired her, said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for part-time help. So I hired her as a, as a community activator. And then the community ambassador program, which is what we call it now, I say that there are two elements to it. There's membership exchange, which is a sort of quid pro quo, whatever, I guess, quid pro quo, I don't know if that's the right term to use, but just an exchange, free membership, you're part of the community, and you just help us out. You know, We ask for a commitment of at least one or two four-hour shifts a week, You know, scheduled in the same days. And I think a three month commitment or something, three or six months, I think just three months again, because it's so sort of, you know, loose and it's really just to be on site. They don't really do a lot. It's just to answer questions, give, give a tour. Yeah. You know, if there's a, if answer there's the a door. meeting. Yeah. Yeah if, there, yeah. if there's a non-member renting a meeting room, you know, yeah. kind of orienting them, showing them the yeah. space, et cetera. It's pretty yeah. basic stuff. You know, and I mean,
0: There's no member onboarding. There's no
1: logging into things. No, that... There can be. and oh, okay. That can be okay. a part of it. Mostly mm-hmm. I do that or Sammy does that. Okay. And a lot of the onboarding, I mean, we could talk about this, operational, how that's changed over the years because there's so many, pro- you know, platforms now that didn't exist when we started. Yeah. That's a lot of that is, is streamlined. Pretty automated and and yeah. It's pretty automated. You know, we, we, we do the human touch as much as we can, but, but we automate as much as we can too. you know, high, what's the, uh, the term high touch, high tech, high touch. Right. I think, I think that's the term. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So we try to do that as much as possible. So that's membership exchange. And or we could do a, an actual internship. And I have had one formal internship over the years, someone who who went to school nearby and SUNY Purchase, which is maybe half an hour away, who yeah. lived actually closer to us. And that was an inter, you know, formalized internship through their through their school. So we could do that as well, you yeah. know, and you know, it's it really it it's it's I mean, we have suggestions, but it's a case-by-case basis. What do they want to get out of it and what can we provide? You know, we have a lot of different kinds of members and we do all kinds of events. And so, you know, they can be as engaged in in Beehive's business as much as they want to be or not. Or in members, too, you know, helping out members. So, yeah, you know, it's a packaged program, but it's also very kind of case-by-case basis. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, in general, your culture—like, do your members make their own coffee?
1: Yeah, but you know, we're we're—I mean, in Beacon, especially, there's a a coffee shop. I mean, we probably have six coffee shops in a town of fifteen thousand, a mile long Main Street, because it's that kind of community. <laughs> and a new a new one opened up across the street from us two weeks after we in our new location, okay. our relocation. Super fancy. You could find it. In fact, they own one in Tribeca in the city. You know, they sell Shinola products as well. Like it's it's coffee and mercantile. It's super (laughs) fancy. They have 19 brewing methods and it's across the street. So yes, people make their own coffee, but mostly they just go out. They'll go out and we have great coffee shops and it's like it's amazing. It's better to you know, you break up the day a little bit. Yeah,
0: and support a local business. Somebody's got to support, support those six business. six coffee shops, right?
1: <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. But yeah, a lot of I mean, you know, operationally in the small, in a small space, right? Yeah, uh, a town of fifteen thousand. I mean, we have about seventy members in Beacon. You know, we don't have hundreds, so we don't have full time reception, right? It is members there is an expectation that members will wash their dishes yeah they'll clean up after themselves yeah <clears throat> you know they can obviously book a phone booth or a meeting room themselves do mm-hmm. we use nexodus <clears throat> and i you know i've set all that stuff up i'm told pretty well because i've been doing it for so long and yeah. i have a communications background so i know how to ah, present yes. things right mm-hmm. And I don't know, I guess I'm a little OCD on things too. So I, 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 I think it runs pretty smoothly and, and, you know, people have told me this and, and from doing it from so long and being so hands-on, you know, I learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to, we don't have to have someone on site full-time, you know? I I, I love hearing this
0: because I do think people make that (laughs) assumption. I also think it's not that easy to your point. Like you've packaged things, you've set a tone, you've built a culture. So people kind of like learn new members, learn how to sort of integrate into that. And what is the expectation and how do we do this? Like if you had members
1: leaving dishes all over the place and. Right. And we do onboard members. You know, I said a lot of it's automated and we have an FAQ, you know, nexus makes that easy it's our basically our members handbook which used to be a pdf you know and it's again there's a lot of stuff like everything is in there as you probably know people don't always read yeah and i have to remind people (laughs) from time to time yeah but you know, we sit down with every member. We first of all we meet everyone before they join. We don't have before you can't okay. sign up online. Yeah. Right. That's they, it. they come
0: in for a tour. So you meet everyone. They come in
1: for a tour yeah. and we want to meet everyone. Occasionally we'll talk to someone. Like if we can't meet them and they really want to join before they're moving to town or whatever. Like yeah. we'll talk to them, we get a feel, right? We have that's part of the expectation too, right? We we want to make sure that they know this is not a regis, it's not a fully self served thing. Yeah. It's not yeah, our culture. Yeah. Right. So right. yeah.
0: Mm. no, that's important though, right? Because there's a fit, right? And not everybody's, yeah, not everybody's There's a
1: cultural fit and again, yeah. expectations, right? Yeah. Like we don't want, you know, I'm very sensitive to, to, I mean, it's my thing. I'm very sensitive to people not having a good experience. And yeah. so you need to set expectations. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I was a long time consultant. You set expectations with clients too, right? Like we can't get you on a front page of the New York Times. Like, yeah, you know, some people some publicists may tell you that but (laughs) i'm gonna be real like you know you have to set expectations i just think that's the right way to operate yeah so yeah
0: no i love that so is newberg how is newberg staffed is that an ambassador you have sammy you mentioned sammy she's there we don't have any
1: yeah so sammy lives in newberg she basically manages it and again she's not on site all the time she goes in when she needs to she'll she'll If we have non-members renting a meeting room, for example, if she can't physically meet them, she'll talk to them beforehand. And, we, you know, we have gives them a call. Yeah. And all that stuff, again, is pretty well laid out. We have a bookings guide talks about parking and all that stuff. And they, they get all that digitally. But, you know, Sammy will either meet them or talk to them and go through it all beforehand. Because again, okay. people don't read always. Well, this is
0: the thing. This came up in, in one of our groups recently. They're like, okay, so we're not fully staffed and the manager wanted to like take time off, right? And so she's like, I'm really trying to audit all of our processes to make sure, because she's like, people, right, just won't read. And you know, you put the, the sign on the door, the QR code on the door and people just right. don't. I like the phone call because it, at least, you know, Maybe get somebody live. You have made an extra connection effort. Pretty for simple, sure. but yeah, that people be-
1: appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we, we. I'd say ninety, uh, at least in Beacon. I, uh, Sammy, as I mentioned, she she now has a full time job and has for a while, so she can't always physically yeah. meet folks. I mean, she works remotely, but yeah. you know, but she has calls. She's at home working. Yeah. I'd say 90% of the time we physically meet folks, new members or non-members renting the meeting room in Newburgh and in Beacon, because I live in Newburgh, Beacon. And, you know, it's, it's basically my full-time thing now. It's probably 98% of the time that I will, I will physically meet folks because I want to, what happens when Scott goes on vacation? Well, Sammy will cover. Sammy will cover. And usually I still like, you know, I'm always working remotely. I'll still check emails and stuff. Now there are times, uh, you know, I have a pretty intense meditation practice and I will do silent retreats and I'm not reachable at all. Like not even text, whatever the phone's off. right? Thank God I have Sammy for, for those times. And, you know, I make sure that there's auto responders and all that. And members will know, listen, I'm away for a week. Sammy will cover, reach out to her. And again, because of The expectations and the things are automated so well; runs pretty smoothly. But you know, that has been an issue over the years. You know, I there have been times when I didn't feel comfortable going away. I didn't have, you know, a a community activator at the time, and so I would always be reluctant. And certainly to do a silent retreat because I'm literally not reachable. Not yeah, the building burnt down, and literally you're yeah, and I'm not checking emails like I can't right so that is that is one of the drawbacks of you know running a small space and not having staff at least yeah. full time staff
0: but so and can can you ask the is the ambassador role set up to cover some of that time as well yeah but it's very limited i mean
1: they're not paid right so yeah. if if they have you know one or like one a shift a week, like they're there it's for four or five the hours. hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and I've made it work over the years. You know, my previous landlord, before she sold the building in, in Beacon, for example, she was great. You said, I think before the call started, about your landlord oh, yes. in, in California, how car, you
0: barbecue. I had
1: a and, great <laughs> relationship She was an honorary member. She was a presence in the building. It's a small building, like two floors, whatever. So she would kind of be around too, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. So, oh, we're almost out of time.
1: Sorry. That's, I'm just. No, I love
0: it. I love your story. That's why I was like, I, people always want questions and I'm like, well, if I, it's, I can give you the list, but I'm not sure until <laughs> we start talking. So I know I, it's super interesting. I mean, you're, you're like a rare, you know, you, there, there's not many people who have been doing this as long as you now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jerome so, is still around. Alex is still around. Totally
0: is still around. Yes. And Alex, <laughs> totally. And Tony does some interesting, what do you, do you know what, I, I'm trying to remember what Tony is doing right
1: now. Something
0: cool. And you know, community, community engagement. Yeah, yeah. Community
1: engagement yeah. stuff. And uh, he, he got married recently and I think he's moved to Connecticut. He's still in the area. Okay. I yeah. haven't spoken to actually he reached out he was consulting with someone in peak skill who bought a building and was thinking of doing a co-working thing he was consulting with them and he reached out to me i can't remember if this was pre just before the pandemic or just after and so he reached out because he knows i know the area the region so much i think that was the last time i talked to him but yeah
0: okay so if you could tell your give your 2009 self a couple of pieces of advice, what what would it be?
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> think long term. Because even though I was building a brand and a vision, it's still, as I said, it was always like one of the many things I did. And if I was always, even in Beacon with the initial, my initial landlord, I was always doing year to year, right? And I wish I would have planned better. and And maybe I wish I would have gotten partners to even, I tried to buy the building when she sold it a few years ah, ago, but okay. I, I, I couldn't make that happen. But I wish I would have thought about that before and tried to buy properties. I'm not a real estate guy. I mean, I've learned what I learned to you make the 5 work, yeah. mm-hmm. but I, I don't like that world, honestly. That said, I wish I would have engaged with it more and and learned a little bit more about it, and tried to get partners to buy property because obviously, I mean, I know you've, I, I'm pretty sure you've talked about this a lot on the it's podcast really and in the, the group over the years. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. you know different ways of making, you know, management agreements or yeah. owning and whatever. So, I, I mean, financially, I think it probably makes more sense, especially because real estate being what it is, yeah. and also you have more autonomy, right? You have more control. This Very is part amazing. of the reason the issue I had. When the building sold in our flagship is that 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 the, there were just too many constraints on us that my previous landlord did not give us. Besides, we had outgrown the space, and and the you know the rent whatever there we just didn't have the autonomy that we we needed to. You own the building, you have complete autonomy, right? Yeah, so totally. Think
0: long term. Okay, give me one more.
1: go into partnerships with what's the expression like wider open eyes i guess yeah you know sometimes it's like i guess i mean you know the in the business world have always equated business partners with relationships right it's like your wife you know it's like yeah. you're getting married right <laughs> yeah and you know and uh, i mean that's it's a bit extreme but there's some truth to that and just like when you start a new rela- romantic relationship you'll overlook certain things because you want and to you're make it work, evidence
0: or evidence that this is going to work. This is going to yeah, be great. fine. Yeah, it's fine. Because all I these want. other things, yeah.
1: <laughs> you think all these other things overshadow those things. Yeah. So, you know, and that's certainly been, you know, my my case. It's like, oh, it's okay. It'll it'll work out. Mm, you know. Yeah. Watch watch for those red flags, and sometimes they do work out, but you know, notice them. I guess a little bit. Heed them a little more. <laughs>
0: I need them. I like yes, that's a good way yeah. to put it. <laughs> good way to put it. Okay, Scott, what are you gonna how are you gonna spend your weekend?
1: Oh my god, I never know. I oh, hope what am okay. I doing this weekend? I don't have any plans actually. Are you a hiker, actually,
0: you a know- cooker? And-
1: I'm yeah, a, yeah I, I mean Beacon is, is there's great hiking in the region but I will say actually so yeah, I mentioned we relocated 5 months ago and I got a, last weekend there was a second annual Beacon Bonfire Fest 150 different concerts and events happening in the Beacon up and down Main Street 25 different venues beehive was a venue and we we programmed And and we suggested this to the Beacon Bonfire organizers. We programmed wellness, a wellness corner each day. So we had, I think, four or five things happening each day. And then there were regular kind of music performances uh, at night at Beehive 2 as part of the regular bonfire stuff. And it felt so good because we really activated this space in the way that we haven't since we relocated. And we haven't done a lot of stuff since COVID, even though... Pre-COVID, that's you know a main reason I started Beehive. It felt so so good, and the weather was beautiful. People were out in the streets, and it just—I mean—one of the performances we had Saturday night. I came back from seeing my my partner perform down the street. She was performing as one of the 150 concerts, and so I came back, and we you know we had a performance. So I came back, and they were still doing sound check. I. I had set up, you know, we were supposed to have chill performances in our space. I had set up seats for just maybe 15 or 20 people, and I walked in, and there were probably 70 people. Oh, nice. And so, yeah. And so I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm pushing people out of the way, moving plants to make more room, and pulling chairs out of the conference room. And it just was, it just was beautiful. Anyway, that was last weekend, and it was so exhausting because, you know, not <laughs> no not only Beehive authentic. being a venue yeah. and hosting, but I went to a lot of things, too, yeah. so anyway, I think I'm chill this weekend. Nice, but
0: chill and re-energized, it sounds yeah. like, yeah, kind of really connected with your why for the space, which is...
1: Totally, and it, it just oh. felt, again, like we haven't done anything of that scale since the pandemic, and certainly not in this newly, yeah. you know, relocated and renovated space, and it just... it. Just, it it re-energized me for Beehive for sure in terms of events and community engagement. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I could talk to you forever, but now we are officially over time. So I'm going to let you go. Thank you for taking time to do this. I'm going to link to Beehive in the show notes, which you can see if you're listening on your phone, you can just kind of click the link and see what they're up to. You have a beautiful website. I, the thing I like about your website is I get like this human vibe you know, (laughs) lots of photos of people and, and, you know, you just get this like human feeling versus anyway, we won't talk about the verses, but uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Thank you for taking the time. It was great to get to know you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Likewise.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. It makes a huge difference in helping others like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about our education and coaching programs, head over to everythingcoworking.com. We'll see you next week.